Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. Living in a fallen world and having to deal with our own brokenness, we are always needing spiritual renewal. And that's the theme of the book of Ezra. After 70 years in captivity, it's time for the people of God to return home where the first priority will be the worship of God and the rebuilding of the temple. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ezra. All righty, we're ready to get rolling here. Ezra chapter 9 and 10 tonight, we will finish the book of of Ezra. And uh, Lord willing, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father, it's been just a delight, so insightful uh, to be able to go through the book of Ezra and see all of these wonderful insights about rebuilding and being restored and uh, seeing the gracious hand of God upon your people's lives. And thank you, Lord, for your wonderful mercy and the ways that we've been encouraged. And so tonight, as you put your finger on the problem with your people, unconfessed sin and the need for repentance tonight to be restored fully so that they can move forward in the blessings of God. Father, we, we want to have our ears open to these truths because there's so many times we need to course correct and to repent in just the way of life. In Christ's name, amen. I came across an interesting article talking about how every year drinking water in some communities across the U.S. is uh, to, uh, blamed on hundreds of illnesses. And uh, according to the latest stats in the U.S., water contamination is responsible for uh, annually 1,000 illnesses, 125 hospitalizations, and 15 deaths. And what a sad, sad thing. And the ironic thing to me is, is that these folks are, are really literally making themselves sick and they don't even know it. You know, they might be wondering, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling so bad? Why am I sick? When am I ever going to get better? Why can't the doctors figure out what's wrong? And then they go to the tap and get a full glass of water and tip it back and ingest once again these kinds of pathogens that make them sick. Now, spiritually speaking, a lot of this kind of thing goes on. There are pathogens of the soul. There's spiritual contamination. And the Lord uses that kind of metaphor in the Bible uh, to pollute one's soul and by ingesting uh, things that we shouldn't, spiritually speaking, by giving ourselves over to sin or being contaminated by the ways of this world. And so without realizing it sometimes, um, even the believer, you know, our behavior is the cause of why we feel down, why we feel zapped, you know, in the Psalm, unconfessed sin, when there's a problem. He says, my, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. 
you know, just can't just have this heaviness that something's wrong and God wants me to deal with something and I don't want to deal with it. And there's that tug of war going on inside of your heart. What Christian hasn't, hasn't felt that those feelings? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, bitterness, envy, so easy, unforgiveness, immorality, bad attitudes, selfishness. It just... The default in our hearts goes straight back to those kinds of things. So if you're not on it 24-7, those are the kinds of things that can manifest so easily. And then what? We break fellowship with God and we need to turn around. We need to confess that out. The word in the Greek for confess is just to admit, to agree, to say the same thing, to say, God, this is what your word says. This is what I did Uh, in rebellion to that truth and I confess that and turn away from that and to you and that my friend is the confession and repentance that the Bible always talks about so I imagine uh, concerning bad water when somebody finally connects the dots and just realizes could it could it be the water you know and then you have the water tested and then you find out oh what what joy, what a relief to stop doing the thing that's been making you so sick. And I think you see where I'm headed uh, with that spiritual metaphor for sure. Ezra 9 is all about testing the waters and finding out which pathogen it is that's causing them to have needed Ezra and 1,500 men to come as missionaries on the second wave there to come from Iraq 900 miles back to Jerusalem after 50,000 had already been there 80 years before. They already got the temple up and running. What's up with this second wave? The second wave is because after two generations, they started drinking the water of the Canaanites. And we're going to see that. And they got sick. And, And the Bible says through the prophets, Malachi, Haggai, and Zechariah are prophesying during the time of Ezra. And they are saying, listen, the cause of your inner distress and your outer chastisement, the reason why your life is so difficult right now, and not always when your life is difficult is God trying to chastise you, but sometimes housing shortage here, uh, disappointing harvests, lack of clothing and jobs, inadequate funds. And uh, this is why God had to raise up a team of missionaries under Pastor Ezra and bring them. Uh, One prophet said, your money's going into your pockets, but your pockets are full of holes, right? And that is because, as Malachi said, you're robbing God. God said, you're robbing me. They they weren't bringing their tithes. They're not bringing their offerings. They're paneling their own houses when the house of the Lord was in disrepair. And so that's what the prophets were saying. They're spiritually sick. And now tonight in 9 and 10, you're going to find out, aha, that was the problem. Not their only problem, but the root of much of the turmoil, for sure. So chapter 9, we'll begin with verses 1 through 6. I have a note here. Get your spiritual hazmat suits ready. (laughs) I have used that before. Yes, I know. After After these things had been done, the leaders came to me, Ezra, and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, the pastors, 
have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race, the chosen people, the line, the messianic line, with the peoples doing detestable things around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, I tore my robe, my cloak, my outer garment, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until evening sacrifice. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement. He's fasting and grieving and in pain from his chin and his hair. (laughs) With my robes torn and fell on my knees and lifted up my hands, spread out to the Lord my God and prayed. Well, we're going to stop there and talk about this. So tonight, we're looking at the need for confession and repentance. And so if you're looking at these chapters, you're thinking, what are some of the insights that will help me when I need to confess and when I need to repent of something and have my relationship, my fellowship with God? We don't lose our relationship in the sense of losing your salvation when we sin. You know that. Uh, but we break fellowship and, and uh, we incur all kinds of uh, misery when we do that. So the beauty of watching this is seeing uh, how truly to confess and get right with God. And uh, as I've been saying, it's needed like daily. And so here we have number one, exposing the problem. You cannot fix anything until the problem is in the light, right? So exposing the problem. So here is the cause and the solution is coming and uh, that will bring an end to the inner turmoil and the chastisement of God that's making life so difficult for them. And the reason God does that is, is to get our attention when the whispering and the blessing doesn't work. So if he needs you to, to focus on something, he'll make some things very difficult. And then you start getting out of bed instead of doing your own thing. First, you go to your knees because you're feeling the weight of something. And so that said, that's what we're framing this as. And tonight you're asking yourself some questions. God, is there something uh, I can be turning away from? So the problem is outed. So after these things means after they got settled. So the team traveled those 900 miles. They took three days of, of sleep. Right? And then they counted all the monies and, and, and uh, were accountable for uh, being good stewards with that which they brought. So after these things means that. And then four months later, these, this is what happens here. Now, Ezra's been teaching uh, the Bible. That's who he is and what he does. Uh, last, cha- last couple chapters, we were introduced to him and said, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and obeying of the word of God, to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. So God raised up this uh, really smart 
Bible teacher from Iraq, a Jew, and sends them to preach the word of God to teach them. And it's that teaching through these four months that kind of convicted these lay leaders who come and say, oh my word, we've sinned against the Lord. Let me tell you what some of the leaders have done and led the way in um, kind of partnering with the detestable practices that go on uh, with these uh, Canaanites. So it's no surprise to me that because the word of God is powerful, Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, it's powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires and attitudes. And so, because he's preaching the word of God, they're hearing the word of God, they are convicted. They see, oh, oh, this is what the Lord wanted, but we're not doing it. And in regard to keeping themselves holy away from the Canaanites and partnering with them. Now, these leaders who came and kind of tattletailed, you know, that, that isn't ignoble to, to expose something. In fact, there's a difference between religious gossip and godly concern. And so, uh, in fact, we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. So that's what happened here. These guys come and say there's a sin and here's it's identified. The Jewish people led by the, um, the uh, leaders themselves married foreign, unbelieving, idol-worshipping women uh, and joined in detestable, idol-worshipping kinds of uh, practices. The King James love it. It's not detestable. It's abominable. Right, And so you get the feeling between abomination and uh, this kind of uh, detestable uh, thing that how horrible it is. And if you want to know what the Canaanites used to do, all you have to do is read through Leviticus, uh, especially chapter 18, where you're reading it and you're like, does anybody really have to be commanded not to do that? Right? It's that chapter, right? But that's what they did. And that's what God's people doing. Now, first of all, I want you to see, it wasn't so much an ethnic problem. It was the detestable practices because a Canaanite who repented and wanted to be an Israelite and love uh, Yahweh, oh, Ruth and Rahab, a Moabite and a Canaanite from the list married, not only married Jewish men and converted to the Jewish God, but are the ancestresses of Jesus Christ according to the uh, human nature. They are in the bloodline. So it's not about an ethnicity. It's not about foreign women bad. It's about their unbelieving idol worshipers who the Bible warned them in the law of Moses uh, not to... um, marry or partner with them lest their hearts be turned. Let me read to you the exact law of Deuteronomy 7 and verse 33 through 4 says, do not intermarry with these people. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. 
Now, a little explanation. The Jewish people had a covenant with God. God said through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he blessed the whole world. And through their seed, their line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then Jacob through uh, Judah, and then Judah through Perez, and you can trace it all the way to Jesus, that the whole world would be blessed because they'd have a savior, right? So now the whole world, the destiny of human souls is that that line be preserved. So God fiercely judged these very people and when they didn't uh, repent for 400 years, he gave them. And then he replaced them with the Jews. But well, the Jews came into the promised land. But there were pockets left to people. And now it's been, what, it's been about 1,000 years since the conquest of the land. And those little pockets grew. And those pockets surround the Hebrews. And they were told, don't, whatever you do, the pockets are there. Do not mix with them. So he gave them kosher laws to make it kind of hard to sit down at the table with them. Uh, and whatever you do, don't marry them because your hearts will go astray. So if, and that's what they did. They started to marry them. So it'll only take a few generations to, uh, before there ceases to be any distinct Jewish community in the promised land. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're thinking, oh, this is a big, weird, awkward thing, uh, listen, Israel's light goes out, the world will be a dark place. And if there's no Israel, there'll be no Messiah. And if there's no Messiah, there's no heaven for you. So there was a lot on the line. And this was Satan's, one of his greatest strategies where he almost won the day by interfering with Jesus' line the messianic line. And so maybe that explains the dramatic response, but Pastor Esther, uh, Esther, <laughs> Ezra. <laughs> you didn't even catch that if I didn't tell you. You need to be paying better attention. Verse three, he's a Bible scholar, he knows. So uh, what are you, the overreacting? No, he knows. He knows the future of the world depends on a messianic line. So he sees the devil working and, and how are we going to undo this? And so in shock as mourning for the dead, how are we going to fix this problem? How do you undo what you can't undo? He tears his hair out and he, you know, a little bit and he, and he plucks his beard because he's in shock. That's what the, the Middle Easterners would do. I think they still kind of do that kind of thing. And so he sat down. Astonished in Hebrew, it's, it means to go pale, horrified, dumbfounded. And so other like-minded people, I should say like-hearted souls, kind of gather with him there in your text. And, they, and notice who comes around, those who tremble at the word. Not everybody fears the Lord. Not everybody reads the Bible and says, wow, it really does say, you know, forsake not the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Uh, you know, who cares? Who cares? Yeah, you know, we're living in the New Testament. I'm forgiven. There are so, there's such a casualness about it. But those who feared the words of God and had that, they sat down and they did the same thing. They sat there kind of dumbfounded and they're at the temple and they're waiting for service to begin, which is the evening sacrifice at three o'clock. And so they sat there until 
the evening sacrifice, which began, service began at 3 o'clock, if you read Acts chapter 3 or Exodus 12. And now it's time for prayer of con- and confession. And so uh, here, here he goes. So that's what led to it. it the, the, the problem is exposed. And now what's the, what does he do? He runs straight to his only resource, his only help. He lifts his eyes to heaven and spreads his hands out to heaven, gets down on his knees, and he prays. Let's take the first part of the prayer. Oh, my God, I'm too ashamed and disgraced to lift lift my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our forefathers until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. So here we go. He's going to confess their sins. And he is going to include himself. And that's always the way. It's always, you know, it's bad news when you're sitting there and you think, man, I wish John was here to hear this. Because that's already, I understand I've done the same thing. Right, but it's already it's a it's bad news when you're listening through the ears of somebody else and not hearing what God has for you primarily. Amen. Amen. All right, good. So, confessing sin, it bring he brings the matter to God, and it's a pretty rich prayer. I'm gonna it's it splits up into four uh, bite-sized chunks. Okay, so let's take a, a look at this first one. Five here in this prayer, we're gonna five, find five helpful uh, elements for when we pray prayers of confession. Number one, godly sorrow. There's emotional distress, and it leads to repentance when we feel these things. Now, if just because you feel something like Judas doesn't mean you're really repenting. But true repentance, something is going on inside of you. And it's really important. It's called godly sorrow. <clears throat> so number one, I would say, feel the, feel the grief. Spend some time thinking about what you've done and the pain that it causes um, the Bible says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Like, just stop tearing. The Pharisees would love to tear their uh, robes. And he says, tear your heart instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending uh, calamity. So uh, the word here is to be humiliated, to be shamed, to feel disgrace or sickened. Luke 18, the, the tax collector beating his chest, not wanting to look up to heaven. You know, God's not trying to tell us to force ourselves to feel something like that or to drum something up. He's just saying, can you just think about it? And if you think about it and expose your, your soul long enough, you will have the grief and the Holy Spirit will provide you that kind of ability to feel it. And so he feels it. You see that here. And secondly, I see uh, an honest assessment. So he takes responsibility. Feel the pain, own it. Feel it, own it. Those are two little ways of 
thinking about it, an honest assessment. He says, this is me, this is us, this is who we are, this is what we're always doing to you. We've piled up our sins from the beginning of creation (laughs) up to heaven, you know? So he's just being honest here. He's saying, we're the ones to blame. You know, these we're experts and justifiers in uh, making excuses, you know. So it started with Adam, you know, you know this, Adam. He, he goes, what's up, Adam? He says, the woman you gave me, right? So number one, it was the woman. Number two, you gave her to me, you know. And so that kind of thing is, you know, I would never have done that had they not cut me off, right? I wouldn't have had that reaction if they would have stayed in their own lane. You know, it's always somebody else's fault. And so he doesn't do that. If you want true confession, you want to get somewhere with God, don't tell them about what your parents did. Just, just tell them what you did and why you need to repent. Amen? <clears throat> Okay, we go on already. Feel it. Own it. <laughs> but now, right, okay, there we go. What comes next is but I, verse 8, right? Or am I wrong? But now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not deserted us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and uh, Jerusalem. Okay, so let's talk about this. So we feel it, we own it, and then uh, we admit that we are debtors to God, that in the midst of all of our wrangling, all of our sinning, all of our wandering, God is still good to us. So we are obligated by his grace. And so, you, you, you know, how, this is, it's just good to remind ourselves in the midst of our fallenness that he is kind even when we are grieving him. Uh, I know a guy who said he came forward during his secret uh, time of adultery. He came forward, he couldn't take it anymore. He said, God kept blessing me and it unraveled me. The worse I got, the more God was kind to me. And he said, I just couldn't take it anymore. He broke under the kindness of God. And this is part of what he's doing here. He's he's reminding himself, you know, I'm stingy with my money. You're generous to me. I pray 30 seconds in the morning. You never leave me 24-7. I speak rudely to others. You speak kindly to me. I'm impatient with my loved ones. You're long-suffering with me. So... That's sort of what's going on here. When we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny who he is, you know. 
So he's saying, look at us. We're worshiping Baal, lighting incense to other gods, hanging out at the brothels. Hanging out at the brothels. This is what they're doing because they married women who that's part of the deal. Go to the brothel to worship, even when you're married. And yet, look what you've done. You've let kings be gracious to us. You financed our trips. You, you rebuilt our temple. You're, you're still giving us second chances. You're working with us. You haven't kind of cast us away. You've softened their hearts, the, the government around us. And so one writer said, remembering, remembering God's grace toward us reminds us of our obligation to love him and not grieve him, to obey him and not rebel. So feel it, own it, and admit you're a debtor to the goodness of God. Now 10 and following, 10 and 12 through 12. But now, oh our God, what can we say after this? For we have disregarded the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets, when you said, the land you're entering to possess is a land polluted. This is Canaan, the Canaanites. It's a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples, all the ites, Right? The Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Ammonites, the Amorites. By their detestable practices, they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters, you said this, do not give your daughters a marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time that you may be strong. And eat the good things of the land. Be healthy. Walk with God and be blessed. And leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance for your children's sake. For crying out loud. So continuing on. Feel it. Feel the grief of sin and the damage it does. And own it. We're the ones to blame. Admit that you're a debtor. And now be specific about what's going on. You know, it's so easy to, to just kind of say, please forgive me for not being totally honest. What, uh, notice the difference between this. Please forgive me be to, uh, because I wasn't totally honest versus this. Lord Jesus, when I was asked if I did so-and-so, I totally 100% lied. I know the Ten Commandments. I know the New Testament commands over and over again to speak the truth and not to lie. I know that Satan is the father of lies. And you've declared that all liars will take their place in the lake of fire. And I lied anyway. Now compare that to, please forgive me for not being totally honest all the time because is there anybody who is kind of thing yeah so notice here's what he's doing he's quoting the scripture that I read to you was Deuteronomy 7 he's quoting the ordinance and saying this is what we did this is what you said not to do and then we did it so he's being specific he's not playing any games there's no time for that so one writer said Being vague with God is our way of skirting around the issue, easing our discomfort, avoiding the shocking truth of how wretched we can be. So yeah, don't just kind of euphemisms, you know, in your prayer life. 
Say it for what it is. He already knows, right? We just love to just kind of just, you know. And, and let me say this. There may be people here, this is the best you've ever done spiritually. Congratulations. I'm very happy. I think that most people in here are drinking from the, the healthy waters of the springs of living water, right? So if this word isn't for you, just hold on to it because it will be. Soon, soon, soon enough. Maybe not in a major ginormous way like this, but everybody has to do a little course correcting, right? But I just want to acknowledge, I understand that there are people who are totally towing the line, walking the life, living in the light, denying yourself, picking up the cross. I get that. I think the majority of us are doing that right now. So verses 10 through 12 here. Ezra's summarizing what God had specifically said about the very things they were doing, Leviticus 18 and Deuteronomy 7, as I said. So uh, he's saying, these people are corrupt. Uh, The lifestyles are detestable. You told us not to partner or marry them, and we did anyway. Let's finish the prayer. So what has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt, and yet, our God, you have punished us less than our sins have deserved and have given us a remnant like this. Shall we again break your commands and intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving us no remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it not one of us can stand in your presence. And so uh, prayers of confession are effective when we feel it, when we own it, when we admit that we've sinned against grace, when we're specific about it, and now when we turn from it. If you've done all of the above and don't turn from it, just a waste of time. And that happens a lot. So in light of the evil that we've done, we've gotten off pretty easy, verse 12 says. Plenty of grace you've given us. Verse 14, now should we go on sinning since you've been extraordinarily lenient with us? You've been so gracious. It reminds me of the New Testament when Paul says, listen, where sin abounds, grace much more. That God's grace is greater than all of our sin. And Paul says in Romans 6, does that mean we should just go on sinning, that grace can abound? And he says, God forbid. He says, don't you realize that we died to sin? That somehow in this mystical union called being born again, the old person was crucified with Christ. And the new life he breathed into our soul is, is joined to Christ himself. So he says, how can that new self continue in sin? It's impossible. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you've given us so much grace. Does that mean it's okay that we can, what do we do here? That's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, you're holy. You're separate from all of this. We need to be like you. We need to be right with you and separate. So here we are, guilty as charged. Now what? Really what he's saying is how do we undo the undoable? How can we keep from continuing this pattern? We're in your hands. You know, he's so upset, he doesn't even make a request. 
He's just saying, here we are, we'll, we'll own it, we feel it, we're admitting it. What do we do, you know? He's just at a loss. He's just like, who can even stand here? And so now here comes the answer, confession, and now he's turning from it here, and now here comes God to say, here's how you can fix it. Because repentance is changed behavior. That's not a feeling. A feeling can lead you to a changed uh, behavior. But here it comes, one through four. Last chapter, underway, while Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself, the word means to bow down, but he's upset, (laughs) throwing himself down before the house of God. He's a church in the sanctuary. A large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered around him. They too wept bitterly, verse two. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, we've been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there's still hope for Israel. Now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the Bible, biblically, the law. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you, so take courage and do it. All right, let's talk about this here. So exposing the problem, confessing the sin, and now the work of repentance, right? Now, time to make amends. Repentance, I've already told you. The Greek word metanaeo means change mind. Two words. Change mind or heart. It could be a change of heart, a U-turn, just turning around. That's all it means. And so not so much the tears, the grief or the vows, but the action. If you want to know if somebody's really repented, you, you have to see the visible evidence of the thing that has stopped, the action that has been taken, uh, the money that's been returned, the bottle that disappears, the relationship that's been restored, the giving that has started, uh, those kinds of things. Then we know repentance has happened. Until then, it's just a lot of talk and it's a lot of tears and it's a lot of stuff, which could be all true, but you'll only really know just like with faith. Everybody says they have faith. But James says, show me your faith by how you live. Don't Tell me about your faith, James chapter two. So repentance is always evidenced by tangible change, right? Then we know you really repented. But if you keep doing the same old thing and keep talking about it and keep crying about it, that's called worldly sorrow. And that's called being, get, being upset that you got caught, right? That's what, what happened to Judas. It looks like repentance. A lot of people think Judas repented, but Jesus said it would have been better had he never been born. That's a a sign that he didn't really repent. Um, So moving on. (laughs) I didn't mean that to sound funny, but it sort of did. And so, and in this case, there was something they could do. They needed to do something, right? Now, repentance 
is costly, and that's why we don't like to talk about it. That's why this world has done away with it. I had a friend, a Christian friend, who said, I will never tell anybody to repent. Like, well, you know, we're supposed to imitate Christ, and Christ's first sermons were repent for the kingdom of God. It just means turn around, look at him, you see? But we don't like it because it, it can cost us something and it hurts us and it means giving it up for real instead of just crying about it and talking a lot about it and making promises it means I really have to do without it right and so uh, it can be costly and here's what happens this guy they're all praying and and Ezra's a newcomer he's not going to say tell everybody hey maybe maybe you need some we need to talk divorces in some cases he, maybe he thinks that's impossible. I can't say that. And then one of them comes and says, hey, you know what I think the answer is? He says, um, he suggests this separation to be done biblically with, uh, as a hu- in a humane way with mercy uh, for unbelieving marriages. He says, according to the word, according to the word. Now, biblically, now, if there's a conversion and one, they say, hey, whoa, wait a second, we'll stop going to the brothel. We'll stop, whoa, we don't want to split up our family. She wants to be like Rahab and like Ruth, right? And so she's renounced that. Oh, that's fine. That's in the details. That's to come. They can do things like that. They can make the arrangements for that to happen. And so... There was a lot of mercy according to the law. It allowed for conversion, as I've been saying, and many did, and demanded uh, the law would never allow a man to abandon his wife. Just to abandon her with children, that's not according to the law. That's why he says according to the Bible. You either get the marriage right or you're going to have to split and then you'll have to support uh, the wife and the kids in a separate household or send her packing back to her mama and her papa with the kid because the kid always goes with mom in Jewish law unless there's different arrangements, but that's generally how it worked. And so abandonment was out of the question because it was not in accordance with the law. So it's more merciful than it sounds. Now, maybe you're thinking, what about the poor kids? How can this be godly? How can, I mean, they're married now. Oh, the Messiah is in jeopardy for one, right? And as we talked about. But, uh, when adults, believing adults, do stupid things, kids suffer. That's just the way it is. It happens all the time. So lest we be so indignant about this, it happens every single day in churches everywhere where adults say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And that, the kids, what about the kids? They're going to suffer, but that's what happens. It's sort of a lesser of two evils here. Uh, that God is going to allow them. So, uh, so let's see how it, uh, how it goes. Five through eight. So Ezra rose up and put the leading priests and the Levites and all Israel under oath to do what had been suggested. And they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the room of Jehohanan, son of Eliashib, 
while he was there, he ate no food and drank no water. This, this pastor, Ezra, is one godly man. Because he continued to mourn over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. A proclamation was then issued throughout Judah and Jerusalem for all the exiles from the generations past to assemble in Jerusalem from this area. It's about no greater than 50 miles wide. It's like Sonoma County, this area. Verse 8, anyone who failed to appear within three days would forfeit all their property in accordance with the decision of the officials and elders and would himself be expelled from the assemblies of the exiles. So a call to assemble with a little motivation thrown in (laughs) and some incentives because when we talk about repentance and coming clean and we want to kind of deal with this thing, who wants to go be a part of that? So he says, okay, I know it's going to be hard to come, but if you don't come, then you'll lose your land and your house. And and you'll find out next verse that they all showed up. Hmm, Surprise. (laughs) So let the work begin. Time to assemble. Work out the details. You've got three days. And as I said, it's about 2,000 square miles, Judah, the little region there, which is the same as Sonoma County's 2,000 square miles. Uh, Ezra used his authority to make sure the work of repentance was going to be thorough and complete. And so that's one of my highlights is make sure it's thorough and complete. Now, uh, we're going to go on to see, and you bet your boots that the guys showed up, and here they are. Within three days, surprise, all, that's a big word, <laughs> all the men of Judah and Benjamin, that's the other way, right, the towns, had gathered in Jerusalem. And on the 20th day of the ninth month, December 19th, all the people were sitting in the square before the house of God, greatly distressed by the occasion and because of the rain. Then Ezra, the priest, stood up and said to them, you've all been unfaithful. You've married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. You guys are the problem. You've done something terrible. Now make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples around you and from your foreign wives. Let's talk about this, verse 11 there. Now how miserable And just how miserable. I wish they could have fast-forwarded the tape, these guys. They knew what they were doing, right? They probably had excuses. There were 10 guys for every one gal when we came back. What are we supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Yeah, break God's laws. You know, what am I supposed to do? They always make, there's always a reason why you have to do. I was in so much pain. I was, oh, no. So, They're going to take action. And so the men gathered to avoid losing their properties. And the men were charged, A, to confess their sins, to agree with God they've done the wrong thing, and then to repent by dealing with the situation, uh, to separate, to separate, make arrangements. Okay, deal with this. Who are you? And what's your situation? Do you have any kids? Do you, uh, where is she from? Can she go home with, or does she want to convert? That's what the word dealings is. We're going to make the dealings here. We're going to uh, figure this out. Provide a, do I need to provide? Are we going to separate because she doesn't want to convert? Are we going to separate? And do I need to provide a, a place of shelter and food for her? So these are the arrangements that have to be made. They weren't just saying, get out. You know, 
You know, critics of the Bible love to go to passages that aren't fully explained like this and say, oh, yeah, some God of love. Oh, wait till those kinds of people get to heaven and they understand, oh, you didn't have the whole story there, you see. They're going to see how they used every little thing as an excuse to uh, not come to the Lord, but... Yeah, none of those things are valid. So deal with the situation, he says. And here's the point. The compromised idol-worshiping households are over. And somehow, by God's mercy and grace, you're going to stop that. She's going to be provided for. The kids are going to be provided for. But I've got something cool coming about the kids. So, oh, one, one writer said this. Let me read it to you. I don't know what it's going to say, but I I put it in here, so let's find out together. (laughs) These families were, oh. These families were called to do the extraordinary because of the fate of the world and the line of the Messiah was involved. In Christ, however, when... Where there are no such concerns, it goes without saying that even if a believer disobeys God's word and marries an unbeliever, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, which is a sin, they must remain married and make the best of the situation as possible. Whether or not it was God's will for you to have married an unbeliever is a moot point. If it wasn't before, it currently is now God's will. You must remain in your marriage and fulfill your vows for better or for worse. So some people will see this and go, you know, <clears throat> I married the wrong guy, you know, or I married the wrong girl. You know, if they're not grounds, if they're not <laughs> biblical grounds, then you can't say, well, I married the wrong person and you know, God told me not to marry an unbeliever. Uh, I, there's a lot of pain, for better, for worse. And you did something you shouldn't have done and now it's for worse, for a while. <laughs> I talked to so many, I, I'm gonna tell you a conversation I had in the lobby once, a crying woman. And I said, what's wrong, what's wrong? And let's call her Jane, that's not her name. And uh, she says to me, she no longer goes here. They moved, the whole family moved. She said, my mom and dad told me and cried with me about my non-Christian boyfriend who I eventually married. I grew up in the church. I knew better. I knew I was doing the wrong thing, but he was so handsome and so charming and so sweet. And he had a good job and he was interested. He came to church with me two times. And now I've got three little babies. She had a baby on the hip right there in the lobby, sobbing, saying, I should have listened to my mom, but I got these kids. I'm happy I have my kids, but he's home. He rolls his eyes every time Jesus' name. He uses the Lord's name in vain. I say, don't use the Lord's name in vain. I have to live 24-7 with Jesus this and God this. You know, I want to pray over a meal. And he out throws a fit. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what does the devil have in common with Jesus? What does light have in common with darkness? How can you do this and justify it and say, well, you know, I'm sharing the gospel. 
There's no such thing as missionary dating, right? No. I married the wrong person. Well, God can work it out for you, darling. God will work it out. Now I'm telling you, if someone's beating somebody or breaking their vows, common sense, people, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're just married to a non-believer who's a pretty nice person. Otherwise, right? You're married. Moving on. Let's finish this up. Is this it? This is a good response. Okay, 12 through 17. The whole assembly responded with a loud voice. Israel loves to do this, and then they don't do it. But in this case, they're going to do it, okay? You are right. We must do as you say. (laughs) They did that, and then like 30 days later, they were dancing around a golden calf. But that's okay. (laughs) Verse 13, not that we would do otherwise. Uh, but there are many people here, and it, okay, here comes the practical guy. Okay, it's pouring rain. Ezra's like, we got to get this done, people, right? And he's a prophet. He's been fasting. He's out of his mind. He has, you know, and ouch. And some practical, wise guy says, uh, excuse me, but uh, this matter can't be taken care of in a day or two. All right, and, and it's raining, it's the rainy season, so we can't stand outside, and it's not gonna happen overnight, so let's all go home. And verse 14, let our officials act for the whole assembly, then let everyone in our towns who's married a foreign woman come at a set time along with the elders and judges of each town until the fierce anger of our God in this matter is turned away from us. So only Jonathan, son of Asiel, and Jehaziah, son of Tikva, supported Meshulam by Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, opposed this. Four guys said, you know, we don't want to do this. Tough. Verse 16, they're going to do it anyway. So the exiles did, uh, there's always four guys. Aren't there? In your life, there's always four. <laughs> Verse 16. So the exiles did as was proposed anyway, even though the four guys. Ezra the priest selected men who were family heads, one from each family division, and all of them designated by name. On the first day of the 10th month, they sat down to investigate the cases, December 29th. And by the first day of the first month, March 27th, Hebrew lunar did the conversions for you free of charge. They... (laughs) They finished dealing with all the men who had married foreign women. So let's talk about this. So their hearts are touched. They're off to a good response. We will obey. You know, spontaneous, united shout, let's get this right. And then the practical guy, you know, it is raining. Uh, This isn't going to be like chop, chop. So why don't we go home and, and we'll come in and make appointments and we'll handle each case right. This way. So it took them three months to do that. All right? Now, this is interesting to me. There were 100 couples. I was picturing a lot more than that. And the last verse of the chapter is going to say only some of them had children. Out of the 100, only some of them had children. And why is that? Because God knew it was going to happen. And when you do the wrong thing, In the Old Testament, he doesn't bless the womb. 
He withholds children. He does it a lot in the Old Testament. That was a, an Old Testament sign for, whoops, something's wrong. All right? It, it has nothing to do with life today, but um, in the Old Testament for sure. So let me show you the names. We're not going to read them because, look, there they are. <laughs> now that's the, <laughs> this is the close of the book with the names of every last guy who said, you know what? There's hardly any girls around here and that Canaanite, she sure looks cute, you know? (laughs) I like that outfit she's wearing and all of that. And you know, Benjamin did it, you know? And who else did it? Masai did it, Eliezer did it, Jerob did it, Gadaliah did it. That's a lot of names. So we get down to 44, the last sentence in the book of Ezra. Each of these men had a pagan wife, and some even had children by these wives. Now, that's a line that says not many of them did. Like, wow, and some even, some of them, right? So that's kind of, uh, it cheered me up a little bit, because at first you read through this, and you just picture them dropping them at the curb, and kids crying, daddy, daddy, daddy. (laughs) It's not like that at all. And so uh, wrapping it up now, what did we learn? Well, there's plenty of consequences for contaminating, contaminating, I should say, our lives uh, with, with pollutants in the world. And there's always uh, a problem with unconfessed sin. It'll sap your strength inside. Listen, it'll bring chastisements. There's a way back into fellowship with him. Do you ever wonder what's wrong? What's, what's going on, you know? Start checking some boxes. I mean, honestly, think about it. I mean, how, how are your, your Christian disciplines? And your praying, uh, your giving. Are you, how's your heart? What are you looking at? What are you watching? What do you let yourself think about? How quick do you stop yourself? I mean, are there guys in here just, you know, letting things happen here and in your heart with the screen and watching things you shouldn't watch? These are things that will 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 sap the strength out of you and rob you of so many blessings, you know? There are people you need to forgive. Oh, there's always somebody, isn't there? Always somebody you're gunning for, right? And and the Lord's like, you've got to be merciful. I've let you off the hook, man, a lifetime of sins, and you're going to dangle them over the precipices of hell because, you know, they talked about you in a way that hurt your feelings. So I don't need anybody to try to invent something, but you know, tonight we're going to be, uh, we'll sing a worship song. And I know the Holy Spirit would already, if there's something, he's already told you. If you can't think of anything, you're off the hook. Enjoy. Take communion and be happy, right? So I'm not just saying, you know, you know what I'm saying. But if there's something I want you to say, God, this thing, here it is again. You've said this, I'm doing that. I'm going to go and talk to somebody about it. That always helps. And don't go to someone it's easy to talk to about it. 
That doesn't help you. You have to go to somebody who is hard to tell. And then that person is going to ask you about it. And it would be hard to look at that person and say, but it's easy. Oh, you're not going to get anywhere that way. Amen. Let's do this. Let's pray. So, Father, we just pray as we confess our sins and just try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and kind of the insights that we've learned. Lord, that would be helpful so that you could bless us and we wouldn't be spiritually sick. You'd get the meds on board for us and we'd be feeling better because we'd be right with you about every little attitude in our Christian disciplines and the things that we should be doing or the things we've got to start doing. Anything like that, God, we just pray you talk to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's open communion. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to open the communion table. And since there's a smaller crowd than on Sundays, you're free to come down and serve yourself communion. And if you don't feel like you'd like to take communion, you really don't have to. This is just open to say, thank you, Lord, for dying for my sins. I confess that I just need you. And here's some things, maybe in particular. And then serve yourself communion during that time. You maybe sit there. You know, you just take the cup. The bread is in there. Okay, so just one cup fits all, all right? Take it apart, get the bread, and then maybe sit and pray just a minute and serve yourself. You don't have to wait for me, okay? All right, so it's a little different. I think you can do it, but the brothers will arrange it. And then once the music is going uh, and we're singing, during the song, come up. And please feel free to be the first person because we all wait for you. So once the song's going, I want you to come down if you'd like to receive communion. All right? Praise the Lord. Now, did I pray already? Thank you. Father, we, into your hands, we just commit our spirits and use this time, Lord, to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Father God, we confess our sins to you, Lord. We have not loved you as we ought to. Husbands, Lord, I know I have fallen short loving Barb as Christ loved the church, as a pastor and a husband and a father. Lord, I confess all of our sins that as dads and husbands, Lord, that we fall short. And as wives and mothers, Lord, that have failed to respect or submit to their own husbands or are part of the problem, Lord, that we confess our sins. We confess our sins that we have not honored our father and our mother as we ought to. We, we also submit to you that we have been disrespectful of governing officials. Your word tells us to honor them and to honor the emperor, to honor the king. And we have said dishonorable things. We have not submitted. We have not given, Lord, to you what is due you in total obedience to your word. We have held grudges. Uh, We've been unkind. We have talked behind other people's backs in this very room. Uh, We have had bad attitudes. We've been all about ourselves. We've been hypocrites. 
and we say one thing and do another. And we put on a mask and hide behind things. And we do not always tell the truth. We often lie. And we're, we just want to say, God, we don't read our Bibles enough. We don't tell the truth enough. We aren't kind enough. All of these things, God, and you're so kind to us. And you blessed us and you love us and you walk with us and you treat us better than we deserve. But we want to say, in these areas, we have sinned and we ask your forgiveness and a spirit that wants to change. So help us guard our hearts even tonight. Watch the words that come out of our mouths to keep a tight rein on our tongues and to uh, keep our thoughts honoring you. Lord, this is important. May the spirit of repentance be upon us, Lord, this evening. May you follow, may it follow us home into our homes and into our bedrooms and into the morning light. God, that we might walk with you afresh and anew because of the book of Ezra, the truth that we've learned in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you all. We are done with Ezra. We are going to start 2 Corinthians. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.